dating back all the way to one of the greatest scourges upon the, uh, the reputation, the history of our country, slavery, we know that racial tension has been, unfortunately, part of the identity and part of a significant part of the history of our country. Of course, we know that the great cloud, dark cloud, hanging over the history and the foundation of this nation, of course, is is slavery and all of its all of the greatness of the founding of our country. We know that is the big black eye, and almost to call it that seems to not do it justice. But when you look at the history of this nation and many others, this is just some of the very brief history of racial tension within our country, dating all the way back to the nativist. Many of you know about that. If you studied your history, it's, it's a little bit more in the deep cuts of American history, but those that were believed themselves to be nativists of this country with an English Protestant background uh, were at great clash and tension in the 19th century, the early and middle part of the 19th century with those that were Irish immigrants, whether it be something, the mistreatment of Chinese immigrants through the 19th century and the, uh, the building of the railroads west, whether it be zoot suit riots in the 20th century, Watts riots in the middle part of the 20th century, L.A. riots in the latter part of the 20th century, and things like Ferguson, Missouri uh, in modern times. We know, unfortunately, just even in our country, racial tension is a tremendously strong part and difficult and troubling part of our nation. Now, here's the thing. We're not unique in that. When you look at the history of our world and the history of humanity, you see it fraught with issues just like this, because there's probably nothing that strikes a deeper chord and and dives deeper and points more directly at the sinful, fallen human nature of mankind than the issue of racial tension. And so what we're looking at today, we're going to look at the familiar story of the Good Samaritan. And the story of the Good Samaritan doesn't necessarily deal directly at the very heart of what it talks about with race, but what it does, the very heart, the very main idea of what it talks about, not only does it mention and, and, and race play a major factor in this story, but also we see the solution, if you will. We see the, the first step down the road of dealing with this issue of radical, being a great neighbor in the biblical sense deals with radical compassion and mercy. You know, with all of these subject matters that we look at, with all of these uh, sermons that we tackle and all of these subjects that we tackle within these sermons of worldview, we know that any of them, it's like a whole course and at the very least a conference is needed to deal uh, to the full extent with these subjects, but probably nothing could be Uh, more true today than this topic as we'll look at. But let us go to this familiar passage here in Luke chapter 10 as we deal with how, how when we think about specifically what must we do, what is the first great step that we must do as believers in Jesus Christ as we deal with racial tension that we see in our society and around the world. Let's start reading here in Luke chapter 10 starting in verse 25. And behold, 
a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. Now, we'll get back to this in just a moment, but this is not exactly as we think of it today. This is a great student of the law and of government, as we know those things were inextricably intertwined in their day. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, testing Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You see a little bit of the hint there of of his intentions. He was testing Jesus as many of these uh, that would follow Jesus that were sort of the upper crust of the fabric of government and religion there in Jerusalem. Again, as those things were intertwined, we see that oftentimes as Jesus would have a, a following, they would come and test him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? He, of course, knew that he was a student and an expert in the law. What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now again, this was not Jesus replying. This was the man replying to Jesus' question. And Jesus said to him, you've answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, this man wanting to justify himself, said, again, we see peeking into his intentions, said to Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus answered as he so wonderfully did. And so often in his ministry, he answered here with a story. Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road. Well, okay, there we go. We have a priest. Surely this man will do the right thing. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, also an important man in the fabric of this society, of the intertwining of religion and government. Likewise, a Levite, when he had arrived at this place, came and looked and passed him by on the other side again. But a certain Samaritan, a Samaritan, what's the significance of that? We'll see in a moment. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw that man, he had compassion. And when he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. The, The Samaritan set this wounded man on the Samaritan's own animal and brought him into an inn and took care of him. And the next day, when he had departed, he took out two denarii, giving them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So Jesus said to his audience, So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the man said, He who showed mercy on him. He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Lord God, As we look intently upon this passage, we know that race and racial tension is brought into this discussion here because the appearance of a Samaritan. And we know in Jesus' story, we know this wasn't by happenstance. He didn't pick this third character in the story just out of chance, but it's for a specific reason. And as this man was not like them, he was of a different race than they were, of a different culture, of a different background, we know that this was the one that had compassion. And God, whether it be 
uh, issue of race that we may face and racial tension or racial harmony in our lives or whether it be that uh, interacting with those of a different culture and a different background. May we exhibit, Lord, the sort of biblical neighborliness that comes from radical compassion and great mercy. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, we see that this uh, certain lawyer came, as many did, and they, as Jesus was gathering a crowd, Jesus was traveling through the countryside, uh, great crowds would gather, and as you can imagine, we saw this play out time and time again in in, in the Gospels of Jesus Christ that those of the upper crust of religiosity would be threatened by Jesus Christ. That their nice little system where they were in charge, they were ruling, and Jesus Christ came around and he threatened it. He's saying radical things. And as we would see oftentimes, they would come out, they would come to these crowds, and they would test him. And that's what it said. A certain lawyer, he was an expert in the law. He was an expert in the law. He was one that knew the law of God, and he came to test Jesus. And this man said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The first thing we have to understand with Jesus' Jesus' response is he wasn't undoing all that we see of the entire biblical witness and, of course, his own in saying, well, it's a works-based salvation. Not exactly what we're dealing with today, but important to note. Jesus Christ was not condoning a works-based faith and salvation to this man. He was speaking... Uh, though in saying, much like we see in the book of James, that true faith is going to be exhibited by good works. Good works does not save a person, but true saving faith will be exhibited in good works. And so he says again, what do you think? What is your reading of it? He says to this man, and the man quotes rightly of scripture. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your strength, and with your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, of course, knowing his heart, gives him a short answer, knowing there will be a follow-up. I'm sure he says to him, you've answered rightly. Do this, and you'll live. And of course, as to be expected, the man says, and he's wanting to justify himself, again, a clue to his intentions of trying to trip up Jesus Christ and to make himself look good. He said to Jesus, okay, well then, who is my neighbor? You know, it was a long-standing belief in some factions of the Jewish community that they would try to state that the neighbor, understanding their, their, their reading of Scripture, they knew this Scripture, they would try to, to, to find a loophole, they'd try to find a workaround, as many of the Pharisees did in adding to the laws that we see in Scripture. They would add laws upon laws. They tried to add a qualifier here saying that the neighbor is just another Jew like myself. And so neighborly behavior, loving thy neighbor, really only applies me, if I'm a Jew, to another Jew. This was, of course, not speaking uh, entirely in the entirety of that nation and of that race, but of many of the leadership of that day. So here's the first thing that we have to understand. If we're going to see how how this applies to our... uh, to what we're dealing with today of how do we deal with racial tension and how do we deal with racial harmony in our society. The first thing we as believers have to understand is this very thing. It's going to be on the screen. Read it and write it down. Overcoming division takes living out the truth that your neighbor is any and all who bear the image of God. Okay? You have to understand that. Overcoming division takes living out the truth that your neighbor is any and all who bear 
the image of God. Now, what's really interesting about this, when we deal with, in, in, in this sermon series, and we've dealt with in the past, and engaged a sermon series, one that was very similar to this, did you know the foundation for dealing with this issue of race and culture is the exact same foundation that we see in dealing with the sanctity of life? When we talk about dealing with the sanctity of life, we begin in the first place that we begin when we're thinking about racial harmony and racial tension and, and, and dealing with other cultures and dealing with them Christ-like, uh, in a Christ-likeness. We go back and we deal with and we start with that we all are image bearers of God, every single one of us. Each person uh, that walks the face of this earth, we are not here by happenstance. We are not here by, because of time plus matter plus chance, and then we've just evolved into what we are. We believe the truth of Scripture that we are not here by chance, but that we were created in the very image of God, regardless of our background, our culture, or the color of our skin. We were all created in the image of God. And so it says then, as he continues, verse 30, Then Jesus Christ answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Parable, maybe a true story, but the the point comes across either way. The background of this is that in in Jesus' time, the winter palace of Herod was in Jericho. And so we know as, as that was a place where he would spend much of his winter, we would see noblemen coming back and forth that had meetings with the king, meetings with his officials, and many other things that would just happen as by happenstance of the king being in Jericho. And so this is quite common. You know, it was also quite common and quite known to the thieves of the day. As we see some of those narrow passes that head from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a boon for thieves seeking out noble men and women coming back and forth from Jerusalem and Jericho. And this sort of thing was quite common. And so it says this man was, he was jumped. He was attacked by thieves. And what happened? As he was laying there bleeding and dying upon the road, we see three different people come along. It says, first of all, in verse 31, now by chance a certain priest came down. A certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, what did he do? Just kind of whistled and just kind of passed on by. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with the issue. Right? Can you imagine that? Sometimes even when we see a broken down car on the road, we're busy and we think, oh, do I want to stop? And do I want to throw off my schedule? And luckily, most of the time we stop. But can you imagine this? Someone laying upon the road, bleeding and dying, and just kind of walking over here. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. And this man was a priest. This man was the, the upper, the most upper of the upper crust of the religious society today. He had the highest position in their religious upper crust. Likewise, it says a Levite. A Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked, and again, he passed by on the other side. A Levite, now he's a middle tier of that religious crust, but he's still extremely important. He was one that had to deal with all of the the accoutrements and all of the the practices of the temple. Very important position. Exactly who you think, okay, well, surely this guy's going to stop. I can't believe the the, the priest did it, but surely this guy's going to stop. And he doesn't. He passes by on the other side. But who stops? A certain Samaritan. As he journeyed, came where he was, and he saw him. The Samaritan saw this man, and he had compassion. Now, if you're following the story, if you're in the immediate audience of Jesus Christ, and maybe one who wasn't quite 
uh, spirit, their eyes aren't spiritually open to where Jesus was going with this, but you're following along. You say, well, okay, the priest didn't, the Levite didn't. That's really disappointing. Well, I assume it's going to be a Jewish uh, just member of the laity, just a regular guy that's going to come by, and he's going to show compassion. And okay, we get the story. Jesus taking it a radical step further. He doesn't say just a common Jewish man, one of the the same race and one of the same background. He says a Samaritan comes by. Now, what's the background? Why is this significant? Why would this catch the, the, the audience, the original audience of Jesus Christ, his Jewish audience, they're gathered on a hillside. Why would this catch them by such surprise? Why would it catch the breath in their lungs, and they would say, what? What do you mean? Well, think about the background of the Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans were considered by Jews. They were considered half-breeds, half-Jews. That's what they considered them. Many of those, and of course, many had compassion within that, those circles of the day, but many saw them uh, as those that were, were, were disobedient to God and half-breeds. They would see them as some, as you know, that the history of, of the Jewish culture in 586 B.C. or in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom of, of Israel was conquered, and they were led away by Assyria. 586 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by Babylon and led away. And what happened is Babylon tried to resettle, and Assyria would resettle some of those communities again. And God told them, not because of race, but because of the religious division, he said, do not uh, intermarry with, with those people. Again, not because of the color of their skin, but he told them, do not intermarry because they worship false gods. They worship false gods. What would happen? Sometimes they did, some by force, some by their own choice. And you had what was created, the Samaritan culture. In the Samaritan culture, many of them actually had started to want to worship God again. Many of them had sincerity in their worship, and they began to argue with their Jewish neighbors over, well, this is the place where we truly need to worship God, this mountain here. Whereas the Jews would say, well, this is the mountain here where we need to to worship God. And that, in a myriad of other reasons, there became this sort of tension between the two. And many had compassion for one another, but many did not. And so you can see Jesus Christ giving this background. He's saying it's the one that showed compassion was not your good Jewish boy, your good Jewish brother, but it was a Samaritan. A Samaritan was the one that showed the, the, the compassion that was needed. So we think about this. Why was this included? Why was this included? I think, number one, of course, it was included to hammer home the point that Jesus was getting to of its radical, radical uh, compassion is needed when we think about dealing with others in a neighborly fashion. Radical, radical compassion is, is needed. But it was also important because I think he did want to point out the cultural and racial difference. This is why when we're thinking about racial tension and racial harmony in our culture, and again, all we can do today is just plumb the, the shallow depths of this, and it would take a, it would take a whole course and a whole conference to, to deal with this in the greatest depth that it needs. But when we think about dealing with radical compassion and neighborliness, it is not necessarily the right uh, path to walk down to say, well, we just need to be colorblind in a certain sort of uh, sense. And when we hear that sort of idea in our culture of being colorblind, we understand exactly the heart of that. And we understand exactly the, the good intentions of that sort of thing. 
but we cannot be colorblind to, to, to those around us and culture blind to those around us. Why? Here's a few good reasons right off the bat. It, we would be, if we're being colorblind and culture blind, we would be blind to God's image on display. God has created us in his image uh, with different cultures and different backgrounds, different colors of skin for a reason and that we display the image of God. Be blind to God's image on display. We'd be blind to another's identity as a human. We'd also be blind to the challenges of other cultures and blind to the solutions of those, to those problems that other cultures face. So it, as good of an intention as it may be, God has never intended for us to be colorblind, but to see the color and culture of others as a display, a beautiful display of his image. You think about me, obviously, as a white man here in America. If I'm going to have radical empathy and radical compassion on those of different races, I must see them as exactly how God has created them and see that as something not to be dismissed, not to be looked past, but something that is a wonderful expression of the very image of God. We have to have that sort of compassion and empathy. And we can never understand to a full extent what it means to be those of a different culture and a different race growing up, especially uh, as a minority uh, within a certain culture. But we must do what we can under the image, uh, under the prayerfulness of God and walking in his wisdom to uh, have that sort of empathy and compassion for where others are coming from and the challenges that they face uh, being part of a different culture being part of a different race, and some of the beauty and some of the wonder of that as well. So it says in verse 34, So he went on, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set them on his animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day he departed, took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. So here's the second thing that we have to understand, and we alluded to it before. On the screen, write it down. Overcoming division, whether it's racial or otherwise, takes radical, radical compassion, radical empathy, radical empathy. You know, we will rarely have such an extreme opportunity as we see exhibited here in this story given by Jesus Christ, but we will have opportunity nonetheless. We will have an opportunity to show compassion to others, Compassion, whatever the situation is, but as it's related again here to our topic of the day, radical compassion for those that come from a different background than we might. But it says here in verse 36, so which of these things do you think, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him, this man actually kind of spoke through the clarity, spoke with clarity through his own. Uh, his own intentions, his own backwards intentions. And he said, you know what? The one who showed mercy on that man. And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Again, Jesus says, which was the one who had mercy on him? And he said it was the one, or which one of these was the one that had mercy? And the man said, yeah, it was that one. It was that one that showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. You know, the interesting thing about this go here is it reminds us of another great go that we see in Scripture. It reminds me of the fact of that go that we see in the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, when he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all 
nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So again, when we think about this, when we think about going, the very very basis of going in the Great Commission is the same basis for what we must do as believers in doing our our small part to heal racial tension and foster racial harmony. The very same heart of this, the very same go of the Great Commission is the very same go that we see here as well in this story. Listen to this. Write this down. Overcoming division takes selfless mercy and love that come through a heart changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Overcoming division takes selfless mercy and love that come through a heart changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, it's the advance of gospel in face of culture. It's the, it's, the, it's the advance of the gospel that we see all throughout Scripture and that those of different cultures and backgrounds of ra- and races are retaining that identity. There's not this sort of colorblind painting over of Scripture, but we see that it is a beautiful kaleidoscope picture that we see in Scripture of those that were created in the image of God. Acts chapter 2, we see as the Holy Spirit came, there were those that were gathered in Jerusalem, although native Jews by by heritage and race, they were coming from all different cultures all over the world. Acts chapter 15, we see this uh, picture again of the Jerusalem council that gathered together. And after there was a great uh, argument with the Judaizers and those that followed Christ and saying, well, the, the, the Gentiles, all those non-Jews that come to faith in Christ, they need to be circumcised. They need to follow the law. There's much dispute over that. And, and James, we see, as he stood up here in the midst of the Jerusalem council, of course, he says, and, he, and after they became silent, verse 13 of chapter 15 of the book of Acts, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take them out as a people from his name. And with the words of the prophets, I agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will build the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, he who does all of these things. And as we see before he gives this statement as well, we see this, 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 this arguing amongst the group, this this. Uh, Uh, this challenging of the notion of saying that the Gentiles must conform to this certain image. He says that they have been welcomed into the family of God. And of course, we see one of the greatest pictures of not just a a washing over of all races, but a celebration of all the races uh, as a great kaleidoscope of the image of God. Here we see it in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says, and after these things, I looked, And behold, a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. It's saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You know, in quote here by one of our great Christian authors, Tony Merida, and then I'm going to finish with a familiar passage of Scripture. Tony Merida says this, 
We don't want to merely see diversity for diversity's sake or because all, he says, the cool kids are doing it, but because gospel-centered diversity magnifies the lordship of Christ and the uniqueness of his church. It helps to clarify what the gospel is and isn't, and it offers unique perspectives and questions to help mature us, shaping us more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's because it magnifies the lordship of Jesus Christ. And may we as the church and may we as people of God lead the way in the very example that we see here in, here in uh, Revelation chapter 7. As we know, that is the future tense. That is the future vision of the eternal state. May we bring the future into the present. It's Galatians. We live out Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 28. And it says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ... And there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And God, as we come to you this morning, may we again be the ones that lead the way. May we be the ones that lead the way, exhibiting Christ-like compassion and love and mercy as we seek to be a neighbor as we seek to be a neighbor. Lord God, as we know racial, the, the racial tension that has plagued humanity from its inception, God, we know the solution. The first step, the first major step that we must take as believers in Jesus Christ is to be a biblical neighbor, to be a biblical neighbor that has radical compassion regardless of background, regardless of culture, regardless of race. Radical compassion, empathy, empathy. Placing ourselves as best we can in a place of empathy, understanding the background, the culture of those and the challenges and the great, the great benefits of particular cultures and backgrounds and races. And God, may we also be ones that show radical mercy. Radical mercy. God, may we have the courage to to stand up and to step out when we see things that aren't right, when we see injustice, whether it be racial injustice, injustice of culture and background. May we have that courage to step out and to stand up when something's not right. God, may we be ones as we see that picture of the eternal state in Revelation chapter 7 of all nations and tribes and tongues gathered around your throne in worship. May we do our part in bringing that future reality into the present. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.